this is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. We are studying the Gospel of John and last week we uh, got halfway into chapter 16 and at this point in John's uh, drama we uh, Christ is, has left the uh, upper room and he and his disciples are walking into the Mountain of Olives where he is going to pray as been his custom in the past and as he is going he knows that this is his last evening and that he will almost immediately lose his disciples and they are all going to scatter this evening so he is getting in all of his final instructions. And so uh, last week we looked at verse 5 through 16 and uh, where he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to uh, come upon them when he leaves and that is going to give them power and uh, he is going to reveal God's will to them and, uh, and that they should uh, have joy in the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, we're going to look at verse 17 through 33 today. And uh, in this one, he basically is going to tell them that um, there will be joy at the end of this. And uh, they basically say, we understand now. And he says, take heart. And he kind of makes a statement that summarizes all of Christianity in the middle of this. It's like a, a summarizing statement. Then in chapter 17, he prays for them and himself and everybody. And the whole last chapter there, 17, is nothing but Christ's prayer. Then he gets arrested and we have three quick trials and a crucifixion over the next couple of chapters. You know, And so this is the last of Christ's teaching that, we, that John recorded. Uh, so uh, let's read uh, verse 17 through, should I read the whole thing? Yeah through 33, and then we will come back and uh, see how much we can glean from it. Uh, 17, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, while you, see, you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while while you see me, no one more? Then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain, but because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you... Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Okay, I have to stop here. Bill, did your Bible say something different right there? You weren't paying attention? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, 23 and 24? Does it just say ask? That's what I'm going for. And in the day, in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Hither 
hereto have you asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive. Okay, that, that answers my question. We will come back to that, put a pin in it. We'll, we'll, yeah, there's we'll, also another thing I want to ask you. Well, hold on to that too. <laughs> hold on. Okay. Uh, Verse 25, though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father in your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because you you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe, and you came from God. Wow, suddenly everything's clear to the disciples? Wow. Is it because he stopped talking in Proverbs and parables? I, I, I don't know. 31, that seems to be the implication, but that's really not what happened there. I I, I have a hard time with that sudden revelation. 31, you believe at last, Jesus answered. I want to say sarcastically, but that's not what it says. (laughs) But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Okay, and that ends chapter 16. So, backing up, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a little while uh, you'll see me, then you won't see me? And they're all in a panic. Now remember that he just told them that, He's leaving them, and they're about to be persecuted, and they're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. Those are, those are three really bad bits of news, all one after the other. <laughs> they're, they're not really happy about this. They're a little somber. And so, and so now he's saying he's leaving, and so, you know, I think, I think they probably do understand that, but then there's, I don't know, Jude, the one we don't know anything, in the back going, wait, what's he talking about? You know, there's always that kid in the class. Explain it was you, wasn't it, Kenny? You're the one that never understood anything, right? Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, uh, so, so, so what does he mean? And so Jesus turns around and he explains that uh, bad things are about to happen, but it's going to get better. And he compares their grief and mourning to a woman giving birth and then having joy in the child. Because after Christ rises again, then then everything is going to change and he's going to fulfill the, the, the story that he's creating here. All their sins will be forgiven and they will be in a joyful position. It's amazing how many times throughout the Bible that God and Jesus use that 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 same parable about a woman in, in labor and in travail. My wife, if I may speak to my wife, she's not here. There's a man telling us how we're supposed to feel during childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is telling us how to feel. I do think it's amazing. All through the Old Testament, God used that term several times, and Jesus used it. It seems like. Some reason that just seems to be the main thing they use as a description for the bad times. I don't know, but I didn't forget. So 
<laughs> Do you remember all that? Well, we're men. We're telling you how to think. Did not erase my. We're telling you. It was okay. That's what Faith says. Did you know some of them? There's another man telling me how to feel. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I, I was debating on how I wanted to jump into that. I think I'm just going to stay out of the pool. Well, if I could bring it back to our lesson, I had a kidney stone. It hurt. It I don't care I about had, your kidney stone. I had great joy after it. No, that's <laughs> goodness. I'll, I'll document that. Well, let's just go, you know, look at this very idealistically and say that women are really happy about their children after they're born and they forget about all the pain. Okay, uh, uh, I don't, that seems to be what Christ is saying here. You know, Christ, Christ said this, Christ did. <laughs> Not me, Christ. Yeah. Um, so he, he's reassuring them. And, okay, verse 22. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Then in 23, in that day... You would no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And in the English translation, based upon the Greek, they take two separate Greek words and translate it into ask in English because there's not enough of a differentiator in the meaning of the word in English. So this was as close as they could get. And the two Greek words, as I butcher them, are uh, erotio, which basically means it's more of a demand than an ask. It is what your boss asks you to do at work right now. What are you telling me now? So, Kitty, will you go load the bread on the rack? Is he really saying you have a choice? Working the dairy farm. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> I never know what you do. I always think you're in one place and you've been moved somewhere else. I don't. So you're dairy. Okay. So Kitty, could you go unload the milk or whatever? Is he asking you to do that, or or is it, or is he telling you that that's what you have to do right now? In a polite way. Yeah. It's a it's a command. And so. This word, uh, uh, no longer ask me anything, it should be no longer demand or, or command me to do anything. Demand of. Uh, and, and then when it gets to the next one, I tell you the truth, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He uses ateo, which is what a subordinate would do when asking a superior for something. So a beggar would walk up and say, I tell you for money. Uh, it's not a demand. That's really what we would call a request. It's, it's not compulsory. So 23, verse 23 is kind of confusing. Because it says, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you ask. But it says, you're not going to ask for anything, but then he says, you're going to ask. That's kind of controversial. Is it? No, really? NLT says at the time you won't need to ask me for anything. Well, 
the way I interpret it, I stuck in demand for all the Arashos and request for all the asks. And in that day, you will no longer <laughs> demand of me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you request in my name. Until now, you have not requested for anything in my name. Request and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language where we tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will request in my name, and I am not saying that I will demand the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because he loved me and believed that I have come from God. If you back up to verse 25, the way mine reads it, it says, These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. So he was speaking to them, in, I guess, in Proverbs, and that's where he all of a sudden stopped, and then they understood. They didn't understand the Proverbs, but I guess when he stopped, that's when they had a clear understanding. I don't know what the Proverbs were that he was speaking, I, you know, how he was speaking in Proverbs. <laughs> but you know, you said you were wondering how all of a sudden they, they realized that that's how they realized all of a sudden he stopped well, speaking. Why did say Proverbs? Why did I say nothing about the Proverbs? Well, that might, right here. The 25? Yeah. So I've been speaking big words. Time is coming when I don't know where you're going to. Didn't say anything about Proverbs. <laughs> well, it, it, it's not that different. Apparently it is. It's the magic. So the question is, why, why do you think Jesus spoke figuratively? Because, I, I don't want to overcomplicate this answer. Um, because of how our brains work. You think it's our brains or what's in our hearts? Uh, how our brains work. Brains. It's how people learn. It's, uh, and I'm speaking as a teacher here. Oh. Uh, just laying a bunch of facts in front of somebody doesn't land with a student. If you, you if you illustrate it yes. with a story, yeah. they'll remember the story. Yeah. Well, you know how we know that it is the way that he says in the heart. Because Matthew chapter 15, verse 16, says, Out of the mouth comes from the heart, and out of the heart comes from the thoughts. So by me. Now, <laughs> well, that's you, how we know, that's how we know that he speaks figuratively because that's so you're sucking me into this question so you could hit me with that? Is oh, that what you're saying? Yeah, that's, that's, you are, there you was are, an agenda. Oh, there was an agenda. You are, you are coming along nicely. I just want to just say that's exactly what we want to see in this classroom. Keep it up. Um, that's why he always Christ was, Christ was the greatest teacher in history. Yeah. And, and he taught through parables I and stories because that's how we taught, relate to, to Well, but that's when, we're, when, I, when I used to teach, I always tried to use it with a little people get it better we are people of the narrative. Mm -hmm. We are story people. Yes. And to, to where even when, in, even in math, the best math teachers were one that took the math and applied it towards your mom sends you to the store yes. to get you five things. Yes. Kids and adults and human beings learn better through narrative. Christ is the greatest teacher of all time. He created the human mind. He knows how it works. So I don't think he was trying to obfuscate his message, but he was trying to put his message in a context that it was meaningful. Does that make sense? And so 
he told, he told parables, and sometimes they missed the parable because they didn't have enough learning to grasp it. You know, they weren't ready for the parable. If he had been even more plain, I don't think they would have gotten it there either. But at least with a story, and you don't understand it, you go away thinking of the story and processing the story, and you search the meaning of the story, which where you get growth out of anyway. So that's where the narrative works. This was quite comedic. They <laughs> couldn't hear that. <laughs> See, you mumbled it, and that's the problem. Well, I'm used to mumbling my name so I don't get in trouble with the assemblies of God. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's like if you back up to verse 17, it basically says Christ's message was veiled because of man's ignorance. That's why they didn't understand about... Verse 17 says Christ's message was veiled... No, mine, mine has a side note. Oh, the side it. note. It says oh, it said oh. the message was veiled because, okay. because of man's ignorance. They, they, you know, that's one thing Christ had to deal with with these disciples of his. Sometimes they acted like they just, you know... Just like us. But what's ignorance? Ignorance is a lack of wisdom. And what's wisdom? Wisdom is the word of God. Anything outside of that... No, no, no. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. That's the way of the world. We're not going to remember all that when we get to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, you remember it all. God's word. When we stand before the Lord, do you think the Lord's going to care if you know this complicated mathematical equation? Or do you think he's going to care about the fact that you took the time to know his word? That is wisdom. For he is God, the creator of heaven and earth. But ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Yeah, I was ignorant about this. Foolishness is having the knowledge and not being able to win. Okay. Okay, we're good at all the sem semantics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, Christ tells us to ask for anything and uh, we will receive and our joy will be complete. What do you think that verse actually means? <sighs> It's in the Bible. He's talking to everybody. John wrote it for everybody. I'll say that. I don't know if that's what Christ was talking to, but I'm thinking John was thinking it was for us. I think right, right in here is his conversations to, to his disciples. Yeah. I think this this part of the scripture. So you think only the disciples can ask for anything and it'll happen? So, so they would ask for miracles when they were preaching and miracles would happen? That's what he's referring to? So when we pray for miracles when we're preaching, that we're, no, no? That's why he's talking about this story. I think if it's good for then, it's good for now, ain't it? No, that goes back to by his stripes we were healed. What? What does that mean? <laughs> just, just random in the story. He bore, his, he bore the stripes for our healing. Okay. His everlasting life. That hadn't come yet. Yeah. I, I understand that. But that, that's where our part comes in. Um, so what are you going to ask? What's the question? I think I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> What's that question? Is it about the asking? I have genuinely prayed several times in my lifetime for something that I felt very strongly about and got no answer from God. I am pretty sure that all of you have been in the same situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
in that context, what does this mean? This Go is, on, Mr. Preacher. This is Kenny Maudlin talking? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I don't lose my papers. Maudlin. All right. <laughs> How do you say your last name? Maudlin. 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 Okay, I'm sorry I mispronounced like my own name. Maudlin, you know, the actor is like that. The focus yeah. is on asking anything in my name. This is where I lose my Pentecostal charismatic papers here. Does not mean just saying Jesus' name gets it. In my name means according to my will. That is the correct interpretation. If you ask according to God's will, it will be done. The emphasis is not on me. The emphasis is on God's will. If you go back to Psalm, just a minute. Delight in yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We have always misinterpreted that scripture. It does not mean he's going to give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the new desires you're supposed to have if you delight in him. Okay. This is according to God's will. Sometimes we ask for something. It's just not God. It's not a sin. Unless we're asking for about sinful but things. But you can ask amiss. No, I say, hey, Lord, can you get me? The I've done this. There was a job I wanted when I was very young in college. And I went, Lord, and, and I did all the, in Jesus' name, I plead the blood over it. <laughs> according to scripture, according to what we've taught, I should have got it. I didn't get it because it wasn't God's will. And three months later, I found out why it wasn't God's will. Mm -hmm. Because yes, the place no, went under and everyone was Fired. Yeah. So it wasn't about lack of faith or not. You know, did I use the word the instead of and or, you know, people's <laughs> semantics in their prayers? No. <laughs> it was not God's will. I didn't sin. I, yeah. On the surface, it looked great. Hey, paid more money. It was better hours. It, I was going to make me more happier. Lord, please give me this job. But God knew that company, the executives were doing something funny and it went down and everybody had been hired in the last year got fired or laid off. Yeah. And I would have been unemployed. God knows better. It's just like we pray for people and they, they don't, we pray really hard for people that are sick and they don't get well, they die. And it makes you wonder sometimes, well, is my prayer just not any good or, you know, it, it didn't work? Or, you know, sometimes it, it makes you feel that way when you've prayed for a long time for somebody to get well and they, they don't, they die. I mean, when they get to heaven, they are well. Yeah, right, right. I understand that. That's my it. dad, I, I didn't want my dad to die and go to heaven. And I'm sure my dad would be, I've said this in here, if I die, you keep your crazy back to life here. <laughs> <laughs> you will be in trouble. And you hold them like this. It's like, Jesus, Clayton, you're here in heaven, but man, Kevin really wants you back down there. I'm sending him back down. And Kevin, no more wood for you. <laughs> That's what I've that's what I've had to realize, you know, because used to I, I felt, you know, really bad about that, but then I realized, but they are healed. It's just not here, it's right. there. And that's the ultimate healing. So I think a lot of people don't see the blessing and you know, when it comes to situations like when being sick or whatever it may be that they're in the hospital, they don't see the blessing that God has laid before them because God has given them a chance to get it right. To turn from that when they stand before him. So it's a blessing in a lot of ways. But we do know of death is sin and the power of sin is the law you know what I mean so it's a blessing and it's you know so we should never ask for anything from the Lord but his will be done because he knows our dreams a lot of times we'll cover those back you said um, I can't find it in the version that I have but when you were reading where was it that said the that I don't command the father Jesus said That's verse 26, isn't it? 
It's here. Uh, I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. That's not what we're talking about. But I really question the whole Catholic intercessory prayer thing based on this verse. I don't know. I'd be really curious to see how a Catholic priest explains what he means by that. Because basically he's saying you can pray directly to God the Father. God the Father loves you. Jesus is not interceding on our behalf. We have a direct relationship with God. Paul says so why do we want to pray to saints and uh, intercessors to to soften the blow and beg for us before God. What is that about? Paul said, "If you go boldly before the throne of grace." Yes, yes. I I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how they interpret this, but that's beside the point. I it, I think. Okay. I've always wondered why that. I've always wondered why you can't like the cat in the Catholic belief. You have to go and confess to the priest in the box. To get your sins forgiven and saved, but that's not how God said it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be able we could just pray to Him directly. So I've always wondered about that. Why it's that way? Um, which is what I just asked. Hi. Okay. So Christ says, uh, "I came from the Father and into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father." And basically, this is kind of a summary of the whole Christian concept. Christ dies for us, covers our sins, and goes back to heaven, but sends another form of himself in the Holy Spirit to guide us, and we continue this relationship with him. And then the disciples said, okay, you're speaking really clearly now. And he says, okay, you believe at last. Mine has it as a question. Do you now believe? Really? Mm -hmm. Well, God wrote my Bible, right? What version again? NIV. Verse 29. I think we understand now why he un they understood plainly. It says, His disciples okay, said unto him, Lo, now thou speakest plainly and speakest no proverb. In other words, he stopped speaking parables any longer and, and stuff. He just started speaking plain English to them, and they finally, or plain Hebrew to them, and they finally understood it. All this time they were Reformed with him. Reformed Arabic, but okay. Go ahead. I guess all this time they were with him, they just, they were always questioning him because they didn't understand the parables. And, you know, he did it several times. He had to stop and say, did you not understand what I just said? You know, and so I guess at this point, it was time to just speak plainly. I guess. I, I don't, is that plain? Or get Christ out. They finally understood it. Well, it said his disciples said, Thou thou speakest plainly and speaketh no proverb or parable as it was. Did they really understand? Because in about 24 hours, yeah. they're all running away. <laughs> they are. Because <laughs> what happens next in chapter 14 is he prays for them. And then the soldiers show up and everyone abandons him. It's almost immediate. You know, within the hour, they're all going to be running. 
you know. And, uh, and Christ knows that, and they don't. So, yeah, that is a good question. I'm not sure if they got it until after it was all said and done. But what's unique is all the disciples ran, but the women didn't. Just women. They were no, no one's going to, you know. They were working on the female though. Yeah. I know. I know. Braver than the men is what my point no, is. My point, my point is that yes, women were not considered by the Romans for sure to be. Uh, they weren't citizens. They were barely people. They were almost possessions. Uh, they were a step above a slave. So they're, they're, you, you've got a whole bunch of slaves and women standing around the side. Are you really worried about what they think? They were there to give you baby boys. You're not caring about what they think. And so, and so you know, they've got to convince the men because the men are dangerous, but the women aren't dangerous. They can't affect the outcome of what we're doing. So who cares? So the point is, you know, so yeah, yeah, there were women at the cross because they you know the men them. ran because the men would have been arrested. They, no one's going to arrest the women. But they were non-existent. My point is, the women didn't abandon him. Fair, but it was safer. Well, I don't know about safer. That was a cultural thing. <coughs> yes, it's like I didn't realize. I'm not picking on women. I'm just like explaining why they were there. In Africa, before Christianity, women were below cows. In the stand. Yeah. yeah. So, that's it. particularly during in. drought. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going there. Okay. That's why, you know, the woman, the first woman, the sinful woman that anointed Jesus' feet, I didn't realize what, how she broke laws. She would, no woman in Jewish history back then was supposed to ever let their hair down. Yeah, that was huge. And it, except in the presence of their husband, if they did, they could be, yeah, stoned. You know, we, we did this lesson several weeks ago. Yeah, but I was just saying. Were, I were you not here when we? Yeah, did I was that? here. Oh, you <laughs> were. But you didn't bring that point up. No, I did. I think we spent the entire day on it, as I recall. Okay. Okay. But anyway, that's how come they're seeing. They're seeing. It's kind of like the blinders were taken off their eyes all of a sudden. Well, John is certainly showing that they understood because we're wrapping this thing up. This is the end of Christ's instruction to the disciples right there. And take heart, I have overcome the world. It's the last of his last lesson. Then he's going to pray for them and ask for God's protection over them. And that's what we will study next week. And then the Passion Play starts and it's all action after that. So... The takeaway here is though I have been speaking figuratively, a time has come, I will no longer use this kind of language. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask God in your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It is all about that bit right there. It's all about asking and God's offering our providence and God's filling our needs. Kind of like he raised, raised them like children and now it's time to send them send them out. Yes, and they have to be confident that God he is still on their side and that they are prepared and that God is going to sustain them. And so that's what I wanted, that's what I dug into. So 
God wants to have a relationship with us. And I've been reading a book about relationships. Anybody familiar with Mr. Greenwood? Um, the pastor gave this to Judy several years ago, and he preaches from this regularly. And I'm pretty sure half of his sermon on Wednesday came out of this book. I'm just now getting around to reading it, and I'm feeling a little negligent, to be fair. Uh, I'm halfway through, so I'm not ready to really discuss it. But he is an Australian pastor, and he basically has his huge issue. The entire book is over the issue, over the, the, the expression, saved by, uh, uh, yeah, a sinner saved by grace. Which is how I was taught to describe myself as a child after entering the kingdom of God. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because I have rebelled against God in my sin. I've asked for forgiveness. And God, because of his sacrifice, as was described to me, has covered my sin with this covering of grace and reconciled me with God. But I'm still a sinner. I'm just covered. Does that sound right or wrong? Mm -hmm. What makes you a sinner? Sinning? Breaking the, breaking the Ten Commandments. The Bible says we're saved by grace and not of ourselves. He makes the case that that's, it's not a covering. And we are born again and we stop being a sinful person and we become a new creature in being saved and our sinful nature disappears. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm still working on it. I, yeah. And as a result, we are restored to our position that man was on, with Adam before the fall and that we are now righteous before God because God has restored our righteousness. We don't really have righteousness. God has righteousness that he has given to us and he has remade us back to that original case. So now we are spiritually on a par with Adam or even Christ. We are brothers with Christ. Someone saved always saved. Uh, you know, I don't think we're even going there at this point. I, that's where that leads to, though. That's where that leads to. You, if you I'm only halfway line, through the no, book. I want you to see. There's my book. I, 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 see my bookmark? See my bookmark? I think okay. the truth is in the middle somewhere. Yeah. I think the truth is in the middle. That taken to an extreme leads to once saved, always saved. You have to agree with It that. leads to a number of things, which I thought was really interesting. You know, what, and, what and I kept thinking, I kept thinking, okay, that is what I believe. And then I thought, no, no, I do believe I was made as a new creature. And then I go, oh, but, I, but I still sin. But what, what, I don't make big sins. I make little sins that I feel bad about later. Where Paul the apostle, an apostle, is sitting there and saying, what I don't want to do, I do. Yeah. What I want to do, what I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched creature that I am. Is he not saved at that moment? I believe he was. Then that goes against. 
I'm not no, disagreeing yeah, at the foundation. It does. It does. I agree. I, I agree. misunderstanding when it comes to that. You know, it's, it's, and I don't want to misquote this, okay? It's not necessarily our sin that can lead to being unsaved. The Bible's real clear about if you do not bear the fruits of Christ. And what are the fruits of Christ? If you don't bear the fruits of Christ, like, for instance, a lot of people don't realize this. You know, when they, whenever they come across someone they know is a believer and they don't like them, they start to have hate and bitterness, you know, harvesting in their hearts. And what does that lead to? There's no way you can have love. There's no way you can have peace. There's no way you can have joy. There's no way you can have kindness. You know what I mean? And gentleness. And these are the fruits of Christ. So that's why it's really, really important, you know, as a believer. But it's not the sin that will lead to, you know, being cut from the vine. I mean, it can, don't get me wrong, because it's choices that we make, and it leads to that, but it's the lack of fruit. I, I don't think, I, I don't, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not dis that's not the point. So you can the do point, your salvation. I, well, that's not the point. That's not the point I'm making here. The point I'm making here is that taken to an extreme can be very dangerous. Any extreme is dangerous. The extreme, the I, other I, way. I was about to say the other way. Yeah, he got the other way. That's what I'm saying. I'm there, that's what I'm saying. There. The yeah. truth has to be in the middle, a balance, because I can knock out a bunch of scriptures in the New Testament that go against, you know, okay, is the scripture right or is that book right? Because there's a lot of Paul saying, I am a wretched creature. I am a sinner. Well, <laughs> I know that term is not in the Bible, but the concept is in Paul's writings. I am a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. We have to, now, I'm not saying this guy's a heretic for saying this. I'm just saying we have to be careful how we approach this. Well, I, I think the, the, the absence of a sin nature is really quite a statement. And, oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm trying to get my head around his case on, on where that comes book. from. But I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if I agree with him, but I'm still, I'm still listening. I, I, I just cannot sit there and say as I watch Christians act in this world that we don't have a sin nature. Yeah. I, is is I, it possible to sin without having a sin nature? Perhaps that's not what that means. Because it says we're in a daily war between the spirit and the flesh. Say it, Bill. Paul <laughs> said it. said it's a daily spiritual battle between the flesh. That taken to an extreme means that we should not have a daily battle. Yeah, take it I to an extreme. Don't do what I do. I do what I don't want to do. And if Paul says that, we have no right to say we don't have that in our own lives. Well, where I was going with this... <laughs> whether Mr. Greenwood is right or not, is that if we are, I don't know, prayed up, if we are standing solidly under the cover of God's grace and his imparted righteousness upon us, and we are in tune with God's needs and of God's, God's plan for us, and we ask for things, then God, if we are sympathetic with him, are going to, is going to give us what we ask. So by our works, so we're doing the right work, God will give us what we want. Ooh, that's an interesting thing. <laughs> that is salvation by work. That's no, I don't think that's what I was trying to say. Um, that's what you just said. <laughs> if we're in tune with God, we're doing it, crossing all our T's and dotting our I's, God will give us what we want. That's works. With your heart. Because I've seen some bad... Okay, fair, fair. I'll, I'll accept that. Okay, fair. I've seen some very righteous people not get their prayers. Maybe I'm a Methodist. So, so when we ask for God, you know, <laughs> some things are wrong with us, but a lot of sins when 
material things or anything like that. God's not going to hear that at all. You know, He knows what you have need of. Yeah, He doesn't care about material things. This is all going to be disappeared. You know, if you don't know about the new heavens and the earth, go to Isaiah 65. You know, Revelations chapter 21 talks about the new heavens and the new earth. So all these things will disappear. So God's not going to care about what you want. You want a new car, a new house, anything. You know, when we pray, God says to pray for one another. When we pray, God says to pray for his will to yeah. be done. You know, to encourage each other and love one another. God's interested in yeah. our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. Yeah, yeah, that's really it. And James. And I kind of want to specify, I'm sorry, I kind of want to specify, and this is just a little bit off the subject here. But, like, for instance, when you go out to eat with somebody and you're sitting down and you're having a Don't conversation. Don't lose my plate. You know, and, and you're going through these things that, oh, well, I've heard this on the, on the internet. Did you read about this? And things that are ungodly that can lead you astray. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So they I start to become I'm serious. The Wednesday mind. sermon was printed based on that. I'm sorry, Joe. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with y'all. You know, so when you have conversations and someone's bringing up things that might try to make you doubt the word of God, then you don't take part in that. The Bible says very clearly, avoid godless conversations because if you indulge in it, it will make you more ungodly. And he even goes on to even say, specify a little bit more that uh, gossip, hold on, where is that? So how do you do that and still show forth the love of God? Well, in my opinion, if, if you just tell them how you feel about it, like, I'm sorry, I love you, my brother, but I don't want to indulge in this conversation because it does not honor my Lord. It does not honor what the word says. And we're just going to have to walk away and, you know, start talking about something different, you know. But you want to keep your conversation godly because not only does it make you ungodly, but uh, we got to find the verse. I'm sorry. Going to, while he's looking for that and going back. James, James talked about works. You're not saved by works, good works. I mean, we can't do any works good enough. But God gives us righteousness. He does. But we have not reached our completed righteousness self until we get to heaven. Paul said it we're like a looking in a mirror. So so in, in other words, so once again, I'm not so disagree with the basic terms of what he's saying. Here we go. But doing this leads this because now we're preaching Christian perfectionism here on earth. Which show me. Show me. It even says in scripture exactly what I'm saying. It says the same way how having ungodly conversations will make you ungodly. It says it again. Now that was Second Timothy. This is First Timothy. This is how you know the Bible reaffirms itself, my brother. You know, it's I'm telling you. First Timothy, it says, turn away from godless chatter and the opposite idea of what is falsely called knowledge. Because that's how the devil leads people astray. What is falsely called knowledge. And that's the ways of the world. So when someone's telling you, oh, this and this and this and this, and you know, it's not appropriate. Oh, I heard this on the internet and read this. Blah, 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 blah. I just karate chop them back on the spot. Said, no, I'm sorry. If they're your friend, they'll understand. You know, I'm not saying to be like rude, like, you know, but just, I, I, just I let them know, put your foot down. Just say, I'm sorry. The Bible says not to indulge in that type of conversation, and I'm not going to indulge in it. Okay, so the final thought before we sign off, because we're out of time, coming from Joe, is when people disagree with you, karate chop them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, just wanted to make sure I understood. All right, goodbye, Internet. Go ahead, Clay.